Welcome to the Notespire Music Artist Impact Podcast, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. Here's your host, Nate Miller. Well, thank you very much, and welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Artist Impact Podcast, right here on Notespire Music Radio. That's right. Some of you might be listening to this on our radio station, WNSMDB, Notespire Music Radio. You can find out all about that at notespireradio.com or go to the App Store or Google Play and download our app today. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about an interesting subject, um, the art of the set list or how to create a successful set list. And then it's not going to be completely comprehensive, but we hope to give you guys some great tips. But um, I'm curious, how many of you out there give a lot of thought to the songs that you select or the order that you put them in before you go on to perform in front of people? And how many of you just kind of wing it, um, maybe kind of pull songs out of a hat or just figure it out as you go? <laughs> Let us know at info at notespiremusic.com. We'd love to hear your personal stories. But I, I'm willing to bet that those of you that give it some thought, especially if you have any experience of performing in front of people for any length of time, you probably have found the importance um, or the benefit of giving some forethought as to what songs you play and in what order you put them in. Um, so that's the premise of today's uh, episode. I'm kind of basing this off of the article um, that was on Discmaker's blog on February 8th, 2023. Um, author's name is Andre Kalahana. And uh, just using this as a framework for us to work through um, but I'm going to embellish it a little bit, um, flesh it out, and you know, give some personal stories as well. So let's jump in. All right, so the first thing to recognize is that my phone is dinging in the background, which I probably should have silenced before I started this podcast. And uh, the first thing we're going to talk about in terms of the set list is that your set list should not be a one-size-fits-all. And that's because not every venue or every performance is going to be the same. So there's a different philosophy in terms of song selection between, let's say, playing at like your corner coffee house or an open mic in front of a small crowd of people than there is, in, let's say, in a huge venue or a music festival where there might be thousands or tens of thousands of people. Your, your strategy or your philosophy of song selection is probably going to be different. And uh, so let's just start off by saying that um, there's a, a, a logic behind your song selection, and we're going to delve into that as we go through this article. So let's start at the very beginning because the, that's a very good place to start, right? <laughs> so you want to start out with a strong opening. You want to start strong. Um, first impressions are important to make, even in music. and this is nowhere more true than when you're playing in front of a group that largely or entirely is not familiar with you or your music at all. You know, it's one thing if you're playing, you know, at your regular venue in front of people who are already familiar with you. Um, they're already fans, followers, or friends of your music. You could probably then get away with just throwing out songs or having them, you know, throw them out from the crowd or whatever. But if you're going to play in front of people who don't know you, you need to make a first impression on them. You need to capture their attention, especially in a venue where people can come and go as they please. You know, if this is a, a, an open mic or a coffee shop or something where people can, can just walk out, um, if they're not into what they're hearing or they're just, you know, they're not necessarily there for the music, you just have someone in the background, that's a lot harder of an audience to capture. 
So think about your opening song. Make it strong because I'll I'll just say this. If you're a Christian musician, there's a message behind your music, hopefully. We, we, we generally assume that you're writing this music inspired by your faith, by what you have learned in life, by what God has shown you, by you know how God has shown up in your life. We generally, as Christian artists, write songs that reflect our experience and our faith and our God. And so there's a, a, you know, a higher purpose in what we do. That's not to say that secular artists don't do the same thing. Secular artists, they have an agenda, I'll use that word, um, behind their music as well, even if it's just selling themselves, you know, in, in a self-serving, narcissistic way, you know, not necessarily. I'm not saying that every secular artist is that way, but even a secular artist has a message behind their music. It's just not, you know, the message that you would generally hear um, from a Christian artist. So all that to say, we're coming across from, we're coming from this standpoint that you as an independent Christian musician, you have a purpose and a a higher purpose and a meaning behind your message. So in order to get that out there, it's important for you to connect with your crowd. And one way to do that, especially in an unknown venue and unknown environment is to start strong and to make that connection. That way you're, you have greater success um, for your message to get out there. So how do you go about that? How do you start strong? Well, you want to start with a strong song, of course, but you want to make sure that it's something that you're comfortable with. Okay. It's something that you have under your belt don't start with a brand new song, even if you're really excited about it. If it's new and if it's untried, chances are higher that it could um, flop or it could you could mess up, right? Either vocally or instrumentally, because it, it's new. It's new material. You might not have the lyrics committed to memory, even if you have them on copy in front of you. Start with something that is proven for you, that you don't even have to think about, that's a really strong, solid song. Especially even if you're in a new venue, especially if it's something that has proven to be strong with your crowd, right? Previously, something that has seemed to resonate with people or to connect with them. Um, also vocally, something that's not too challenging for you. So Paul has talked about this before. He said, you know, when he performs live, he starts with something that's comfortable in his range, right? Something that doesn't, it's not going to demand a lot from him because his voice is still warming up. So he's not going to do something that challenges him, um, his personal vocal range until he's a couple songs into the set where his voice has had a time to adjust to singing and to the room and everything like that. So picking something that's vocally comfortable, also instrumentally comfortable, you don't, don't want to pick your most challenging instrumental song, you know, as a guitarist or a pianist or a drummer or whatever, um, right out of the gate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even if you've done it a thousand times before. Let yourself ease into that or warm up to that. So pick something that's kind of neutral, but it's something that's strong and solid and comfortable for you and the audience. But again, you want something that's going to give you the opportunity to draw people in. So if this is a new new venue, people haven't heard you before, you want that stranger to turn around and say, whoa, what, what's this all about? And to connect, right? So be really strategic with that first song. That's a lot to think about. I understand. Um, I promise that not the rest of the points are not going to be maybe so involved or demanding. But and I don't mean to par- paralyze you from the beginning. Yes, you want to give thought to that opening song, but don't paralyze yourself. Just just pick something that is strong and comfortable for you, and that you know will generally connect with uh, most audiences. It's a good benchmark and a good way to check the room before you move on. 
So kind of on the heels of that, we sort of talked about this in, in that first point. Um, consider your vocalist and your instrumentalist. Again, like, like I said, you don't want to pick something that's the most challenging song for you um, vocally right off the bat. The same thing goes for arranging your songs in the set list. If you have three songs that are vocally challenging for your singer, if it's whether it's you or somebody else, don't put those songs back to back, right? You want to pres- preserve your vocalist's voice. You want to give that that vocalist the greatest chance at succeeding at that, singing that song and to be able to sing the rest of the night. So if you have vocally challenging songs, try to spread them out throughout the night. Don't do a whole block of songs that are just going to wear you out vocally. Same thing goes for your instrumentalist. Um, if you have a song that has a really demanding solo in it, follow that up with a song that's a little less demanding. You know for your guitarist or your pianist or whoever is performing that kind of virtuoso element of that's of the previous song just give some thought to your longevity especially if you have um, a time block where you can play multiple songs now if you're at an open mic and you can only play one to three songs then by all means hit them hard you know go with that song that you know really showcases your talent vocally or your virtuosity as an instrumentalist but it's all about balance, thinking about pacing throughout the night and throughout the set list. All right, and continuing with that theme, if you are playing a set, you can think about splitting up your set into segments. So again, every venue, every show or performance might be different. You, you, know, you might only have the chance of playing one song or two to three songs, or you might have a full hour, you know, depending on the setup. So let's just say you have um, time to do 10 to 12 songs. You might want to think about uh, breaking up that set of songs into three or four clusters uh, of songs, kind of blocks of songs, and using each of those segments to kind of create a flow or a journey. That's important. If you have multiple songs, you want the listener to go on a journey with you um, musically, thematically. You know, use that time that you have to your advantage and to highlight, you know, the message behind your music. If you're going to start out strong and upbeat and up tempo, you know, maybe you want to your middle block to be um on the slower, softer side and then and you know, finish hard again. Or the other way around, maybe you start out with um you know, a, a block of reflective, slow kind of ballad songs depending on the venue. That might be a good way to start. Um but then, you know, you raise the energy in the middle and then you you start or you, you end on a slower, quieter note again. That's not generally the best way to grab people's attention, you know, with a, a slow ballad, but depending on or on your venue and the event, that might be the way to go. But the point is that you're going to create movement. You're going to create, um, again, a journey musically through the tempo, by varying the tempo, by varying the style and the types of songs, um, by, vary, by varying the vocal range, the amount of instrumentation. We're talking about arrangements here across not only individual songs, but in between songs. Um, so give a lot of thought as you look at your set list and you put songs together. Where is this going musically? Is this really flat? Are all the songs kind of the same um, feel, same groove, same tempo, same you know theme all across the board? Or is there movement here? Um, yeah, you can group songs together based on themes. You know, maybe you have a small worship set within within your greater set and you want to put them together. Like you start out with your original songs, you throw in 
you know, three or four worship songs and then you end with your original songs again. That's a great way to group songs together. But the point is to look at the variety of your music, whether it's original covers or a mixture of them, and, you know, weave that together to create the best chance that you have of maintaining, not only capturing the attention of your audience, but maintaining it and ensuring that it's going to continue when you walk off that stage. And um, we talked about tempo. Yeah, varying the tempo of the songs. You want to have this um, flow, this kind of push and pull or ebb and flow, peaks and valleys, you know, this movement in the music. Because, you know, just like when your eye is looking at something, when you're watching, um, you know, something on your phone or a movie or whatever, your eye is constantly scanning for novelty, right? It's looking for, you know, something new, something movement, colors changing, things like that. The ear is the same way. Even if you have, you know, five songs that are really strong that individually, you know, people would connect with, when you pair them together, no matter how great they are and they just run back to back, eventually it just becomes noise in the background. Unfortunately, that's just the way things work. And, you know, you're not doing those songs or your message any, any service by just kind of running flat across the board, right? Give the listener some variety so that when they don't get lulled into that kind of thing, like, oh, all these songs just kind of sound the same, or like the tempo is just the same across across the board, or like all these songs are about the exact same, like, you know, give them some variety so that when they've heard one song, you know, the next song is different, and then you can go back to another song that's sort of similar. Just capitalize on the listener and the viewer's natural tendency to be seeking novelty. So you don't want to front load all of your, you know, like most energetic and upbeat songs at the beginning, as exciting as that might be. And as a, a adrenaline rushing, you know, and captivating as that might be for your audience, what's going to happen the, the second half of your set when everything is down tempo and you know, you just get petered out and you, the interest of the crowd has been lost. So be strategic in how you, um, put these songs together in terms of the tempo so that um, there's balance across. Again, think about the journey of your music, um, musically in, temp- in terms of tempo, in terms of melody, all those things. Create a journey, peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows, push and pull. Again, capitalizing on the, nat- the human's natural um, proclivity for novelty, for, you know, being taken on a journey for that story of where where your music is leading them. Um, how about combining songs with alternate tunings? This article says. So yeah, if you have a block of songs, like if you're a guitarist and you you know maybe you start out in standard tuning, but then you have to switch to something like Dad Gad or Drop D. You know, if you're doing that for one song, that's okay. You can take that time to uh, engage with the audience by talking to them while you're detuning your your instrument. Or, you know, maybe you have a second guitar that's already tuned to your alternate tuning. That's a quick change there. But if you have several songs that you have to stop and and tune your guitar um, to an alternate tuning, you might want to think about putting them in a block t- together. So, again, like I said, there's way, creative ways to engage with the audience so that there's not this awkward dead t- downtime or dead space when you are tuning. But you don't want to have to do that every other song. Um, that just kills the flow and the momentum of your music and the and the connection to your message. So yeah, if you have two, three songs, something like that, in an alternate tuning like Dadgad, 
consider putting them together so that you only have to tune or, you know, detune and retune once and use that as a transition and then come back to standard tuning. Another example would be switching to a different instrument. So, you know, the band that I play in now, we have a block of songs that our lead singer plays on the ukulele instead of the guitar. Now, we've done entire sets where he's played his part entirely on the ukulele. Like we've, if we've done stripped down acoustic sets of our songs and he can do that, but you know, the songs are completely different. They sound different than when he plays them on on guitar. So that's kind of a, a special case. But in our regular set of music, there are specific, specific songs that we've arranged for him to play ukulele. So generally what happens is we will put those songs together in a block. So we might start out on him on guitar. And then he will switch to the ukulele and we'll do, you know, a block of songs where he's playing ukulele as his main instrument. And then after that, we switch back to, usually after a break, we'll switch back to our regular set with him on guitar. So again, that's kind of one way to break up um, the monotony of hearing everything on guitar. So that's a great way to kind of breathe and and give some variety there for the listener. And um, it's also a good way to kind of like get rid of awkward transitions because we've blocked all those together so there's only you know one transition when we switch to the ukulele and and then the other one back to our standard set instead of switching back and forth all the time so that's another way to think about it and you know we talked about avoiding songs of like the same tempo or the same feel back to back and that kind of goes for arrangement you know similar song structures and also the keys same key uh, same song keys if you play a whole block of songs in the same key, again, it's just natural um, for the ear. It it tires out, right? It it gets tiresome to hear every song in the same key, If even if they're unique songs. Um, that's kind of a fun thing to do, have a couple songs back-to-back in the same key because it's a really great way to just naturally create flow between songs. But you don't want to stay on that horse too long, right? Don't go to that well too much. If you have a song that starts in the key of D and then it modulates up to the key of E, well, you can follow that with a song in the key of E because you can go straight into it. But I wouldn't want to do a song, you know, a block of songs, three to five songs, let's say, all in the same key because even though they flow well together, um, again, it all starts to sound the same and it, it just lulls the person to sleep and loses their attention. Again, I can I can give personal experience from the band that I'm in. Uh, we have two songs specifically that are very similar, I guess, in, in chord progression. They're in the same key. And um, if you hear them back to back, there's some similarities there. I mean, the melodies are, melodies are different, but it's close enough that it sounds similar, especially lead singer's wife. She, she just tells him, we cannot do these songs back to back. To her ears, they're exactly the same, even though they're not. They they are different musically, but if someone in the band is saying like, hey, these sound too similar to me, I think it's just insulting to the audience to believe that they're not going to think the same thing. Now, if you heard these two songs at different ends of the set list, like the, the, the beginning and the end, you would never say, oh, I heard this song before. It's not that close. But back to back, yeah, they're similar enough where it's like, wait, this is the same song, isn't it? It's It's really not. It's really not that bad, despite <laughs> the lead singer's wife. But that that's something to think about. If you have songs that like the arrangements are very similar, like say you have two songs that, you know, they start out with intro, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro. Um, 
Now, if all of your songs are that way, that's fine. That's your style. Then that, that's okay. Just put them all together. But if you generally have more variety in your arrangement, but you have like several songs that are like this, even if they're melodically different and chords are different, but the structure is the same, you might get the occasional listener who just subconsciously is like, wait, this is very similar. Like, this sounds like the same song again. Yeah. So again, if you have the luxury of having variety in styles of your music, space it out, you know, use that to your advantage. Again, it's all about balance. Take those songs that are the same structure and space them out a little bit more. That way, even if people hear them in the same set, it's not going to be as noticeable or noticeable at all. That's just another smart thing to take your live performance up a notch in professionalism. These are all things, by the way, that, you know, they're simple, quick fixes, simple things that maybe you didn't think about before. But these are like the slight edges that just take you from being a good musician to an excellent musician and a more polished performer. So if you generally don't give any thought to the songs that you select or how you put them together in order, it's not going to be the death knell to you as an artist. But if you're looking for small incremental ways to just improve yourself, to polish yourself, to to give you more of a professional um, appearance, these are the small things that matter. If you take two artists that are relatively the same speaking, competency-wise, talent-wise, songwriting, you know, whatever, they're they're the same in all other aspects. But then you take their, you know, their performance, and this person is just given that little thought to, you know, what's the flow of my set across these songs across my set? What does this do sonically for the listener? Where do I take them on this journey musically in terms of tempo and theme and rhythm and me- like melodically versus someone who just sort of haphazardly throws their music out there? It really does make quite a difference. Sometimes it's so subtle and the, you know, the listener can't put their finger on it, but it's enough of a difference to say that for some reason that set list, the one that was put together with thought, just hits differently. It really does. It makes a difference. So. Just some food for thought. Um, Any little advantage that you can give to yourself, again, to set yourself out from a music industry that is already so saturated with performers out there, if you want the slightest bit of edge or just to take yourself to the next level, again, this is all about, for us as Christian musicians, is getting that that message out there. But, you know, it doesn't matter. Even if we're as independent musicians, independent Christian musicians out there, we're in a field that is completely saturated. And so it's not about a competition. I'm not saying like you need to figure out how to like get the, the leg up on the, you know your fellow Christian musician. We're talking about getting your music out there to more people, getting it to connect with them, getting that message out there. You know, that's the, if we say that's the purpose behind our music, we need every advantage that we can get. Not only are we, comp- are we competing, again, it's not a competition, but not, our, not only is our music competing against other fellow Christian musicians, but it's competing against secular music as well because it's all thrown out there together on these streaming platforms. And so we're we're literally just buried in a sea of music. And so any small advantage that you can get in your music and your performance is only going to help in the long run. All right, let's move on. So again, we talked earlier um, in several different ways about flow, like in between songs. And that's the next point here. You want to determine which songs can flow into one another. We already talked about doing songs 
in the same key back to back. That's probably the best and easiest way to create flow because if you're in one key, if you're if one song's in one key and you flow right into the next song in the same key, there's literally no transition that you have to do. You can um flow your outro of one song into the intro of the other without any sort of, you know, modulation or um and change other than maybe tempo or um time signature. But uh if you got a song in the key of D in 4/4 four, four, and your next song is in the key of D in 4/4, four, four, pretty seamless transition, right? You don't even have to say anything. You just go from one song to the next. It can be pretty pretty powerful. But again, you don't want to do every transition like that. So, it's going to speak volumes to your professionalism if you can give some thought beforehand to the flow of your music and avoid a bunch of awkward silences between songs, especially if it's between every song. Um again, we talked about, you know, using time in between songs to connect with your crowd to engage with them um that's a great way to cover up switching of instruments switching of settings on pedals or keyboards having to put your capo on having to uh tune to an alternate tuning if you have to do that even if it's something as simple as just drop d tuning or something like that those are the times when you can you you know use talking points you can give a little background about you as an artist you can talk about the inspiration be- behind the next song that's coming up there, you know, there's creative ways to do that, but you don't want to have to do that necessarily for every song. And again, you know, use variety in your transitions. You don't want every transition to be the same as well, because again, that just lulls people into sleep. Um, it's just awkward if everything sounds the same. So think about transitions. Sometimes that can be a thematic transition. You can, you know, end one song that will thematically suggest another song. That's a little more creative, um, and that's something you might have to talk about to the crowd to connect them with. You can do musical modulations, so you might have an instrumental from one song to the next that's going to change your key. It might not even be a piece of the song. It could just be a jam in between songs. A lot of different ways to figure out how to go from one song to the next, but give it some thought, and this is important. If you are going to use these transitions, especially if they're musical transitions, make sure you practice these things first, especially if you're in a band setting. If you have more than one person, you're not just a single performer, you need to practice these things with the other people in your group, just like you would your song, the songs themselves. Because if you go on, on stage or, you know, you go on live in front of a, um, a group, in front of an audience, and not everybody's on the same page in the group, they don't know how you're going to transition, there's no way this is going to succeed except for by luck. Everybody needs to be on the same page and know, okay, from this song to the next, this is how we're going to get there. It's really the only way that you're going to succeed and the best way to succeed at your transitions. So that means that you're going to have to decide beforehand. That's the whole point of creating a set list is knowing what songs you're going to do beforehand, how they're going to flow one into the other, and Hopefully you don't pick that right before the show and just spring that on your, you know, your bandmates. Now they might be good. They might be talented and seasoned enough to be able to, to do that on the fly. That's great. And you might be able to get away with that, but it would be even more uh, beneficial to you to practice this beforehand. You know, if you have a event or a, a performance coming up, you know what the venue is, you know, you know what to expect, you know, how many songs you can fit in. And we'll talk about being flexible here in a minute, but, um, just say, you know, I'm going to have 10 songs. We have time for 10 songs. And you say, okay, these are the 10 songs. And then you say, we need a transition between these two songs because there's a key change 
or I need to switch to, to a different instrument, then in your rehearsal, practice that. Practice that transition. Make sure everybody knows what's going on. And again, that is just going to bump up your professionalism and that is going to help you to be more polished than the next person who um, doesn't do that. Just that that's what gives you the that polished edge, that little bit of an edge. And just, again, it's going to show you as a, a polished and professional musician who cares about what you're doing. Not only cares about what you're doing, but cares about the audience, the listeners who are listening to you. You know, if you just throw something together, that's okay. But yeah, give the audience the sense that you thought about them beforehand. You know, especially people who are coming out, they've given you their time, sometimes their money. They've they've paid for this performance, whether it's just you or a festival where they're coming from multiple bands. Um, let them know that you care, that you gave some forethought to them and what they would think and what they would hear and what they would experience. That goes a long way to not only connecting with established fans, but capturing new fans and maintaining them, uh, again, as you walk off stage so that people will come back and want to hear more and um, or they want to go check you out because they like your message, they like your music, and they want to find out more about you. All right. We talked about starting strong and you also want to end in a big way. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end with your most, you know, the loudest, fastest, biggest production song. That might be what you do, but the whole point is you want to start strong and end strong. This is about first impressions and also last impressions. You would not believe how far it will go if you, no matter how you mess up throughout the course of this set, how strong um, or how far it will go for you if you start strong and end strong. It doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to completely forget if you bombed on a song, you know, or if there was a huge foible or whatever, you know, they might remember that. But you know what? If you end on a really strong note, that goes a long way where people might be like, man, you know, they, they sort of like lost their way there in the, in the middle. But wow, what an ending. And, you know, and sometimes people completely forget then what um, your shortcomings in the middle because you did end on such a strong note. It goes a really long way. So again, you want to end with something that's really strong for you, something that's solid, something that, again, is proven to connect with the crowd, something that you don't have to give a lot of thought to vocally or instrumentally, you know, unless it's something that it's completely practiced, something that you really have under your belt. You know, maybe you have a signature song, especially if you're, you know, you do have a good fan base that you've been around a while and they know your music. And you know these people are waiting to hear this song. This happens all the time in um, national acts, right? They're in a huge stadium. You know, they maybe they had a radio hit song. And uh, the majority of that crowd is there because they want to hear that song. That band generally doesn't play that first. They generally don't even play that early on in the set. A lot of times they wait, even if it's not the very last song, they are going to wait till the end to play that song because they know that people are waiting to hear that song. It's kind of a, a great way to have um, almost a captive audience because they are literally sitting there captivated because they're waiting to hear this song. It builds a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement, and people are just waiting. And they might even be you know, calling out for that song because they're there to hear that. Um, it also might be for those national acts or even not nationally known, but... um. People who have been around for a while, if they do have a hit song and, you know, people always want to hear that song for the band, maybe they don't enjoy playing that song 
And so for them, they don't want to play it at all, but they know it's kind of a necessarily necessary evil that people are waiting to hear that song. So they will wait to the end to do that. Yeah, it's different different strategies for why they might do that. But um, but yeah, if you do have a, a song that you know is you know a, a crowd favorite or a fan favorite, maybe think about putting that at the end of your set list, whether it's towards the end or the last song. Again, it because it encourages people to to stay connected, to keep listening, to stay engaged because they're waiting for that song to come up. Yeah, that's all I can say about that. So here's a simple one to think about, um, especially if you are in a group setting, you play in a band or, or with other musicians in your group. We're talking about having your set list planned beforehand so you know what songs you're going to do in what order and you know, you've been strategic about it and all these things that we've been talking about. Write this thing out. You know, Do your, your bandmates and uh, fellow performers a solid and have this thing written out so that they have access to it, right? So they know what's coming up, what to expect. Nothing kills the moment and the mood more when after every song, the rest of the band is turning to you as the leader or the lead singer and saying, what's next? Or what's this, what key is this song in? You know, if you have a guitarist and they don't know what to expect, they might have to change settings on their equipment. You know, they might have to change instruments. They might have to change to a different tuning, whether that's tuning the instrument that they're playing or grabbing another guitar. Um, they might have to change settings on their pedal. If they can look down while they're while they're playing one song at what song's coming up and be mentally prepared to know, okay, as soon as this song, as soon as we hit that last song or that last chord, I gotta switch guitars or I gotta change pedals or I gotta change settings. Do you know, throw them a bone, help them out here. Write this set list out. Make sure everybody has a copy of it. Make sure it's legible. Make sure that everybody knows what's happening a long time, you know, ahead of time. You might want to even go over everything before you go out on stage and just say, hey, anybody have any questions? Make sure everybody knows they're on board with what tra- where tr- transitions are needed and what those transitions are, especially if you've practiced them before. That's just that small thing, again, is just going to help you to set you up for success. And that's going to change, take you from being a good musician to an excellent musician and being more polished. Okay, final thought here. Out of all these things, you know, we're, we've been talking about being prepared, right? Deciding ahead of time what songs you're going to do, what order they're going to be done in, you know, talking about creating flow and a journey and all these things. After all this preparedness, the, the last thing we're going to be talking about is being flexible. Okay, so there are going to be times for any myriad of reasons where you're going to have to change that set list. It it's it may happen. I'm going to say if you play and perform long enough, it's going to happen. And that could be anything from um, breaking a, a string on a guitar. And maybe you don't have a backup guitar and you don't have time to switch out that instrument or that, that um, string. You might have to switch to a piano-driven song and that wasn't next in your, your set. But you have to be flexible enough to do that because maybe that gives that guitarist time to change that string while that song is being played. Or you might have to nix all of the guitar-driven songs because that you don't have a backup. Whether you you don't have another string to change out or you're on a time crunch. Maybe you only have a certain time block and you don't have time to switch that out. So you got to finish the song out or the set out with just the piano or another um, instrument. You got to be flexible enough to do that. Um, you might have a group of songs that you have planned, and you realize these aren't connecting with the audience that you're performing in front of. 
And you might have to call an audible and say like, look, hey, that last upbeat song that we did really engaged the crowd, but they are not going for our slower songs. These ballads or these um, story songs aren't connecting, whatever it is. And you might just say like, look, we got to change this out. We got to add this song in. You might get to the end of the set and be told, hey, you, there's more time left. We need you to play two or three more songs. Well, you you have you need to know ahead of time to plan some extra songs. That's always a, always a good thing to have to have some alternate songs that you can pull in if you need to um to lengthen your set list or to change your set list out if there's a problem. Um, it might just be that you get them you know the signal from the venue owner or from the sound man saying you have five minutes left, and you look down at your set list and think I have ten, fifteen, twenty more minutes worth of material here but you only have five minutes so that might mean you you have you have to get rid of the rest of your set list and pick one song to end on so what's it going to be so again you have to be flexible these are just a couple examples there's so many different reasons that you might have to change your set list so it's kind of funny to end on this point because the whole thing about this today's episode was about being planned and prepared but but part of being prepared is to be flexible there's a huge difference between going in ready and prepared and having some sort of understanding of what you're doing, but being flexible to change that if you have to. There's a huge difference between that and going in and having no plan at all and just kind of winging it and having no idea what's going on. Because if these curveballs are thrown at you and you don't have any structure at all, you don't have any plan, um, you're going to be completely flexible, yeah, but you don't, you're not going to know what to do. So you need both. You need some sort of plan or idea that you had prepared beforehand with the flexibility to change it if needed, rather than going in and just winging it from the top, which you might get lucky doing, but the more times you do this, the more times you play and perform in front of people, the less that's going to work for you. I know that and every seasoned performer out there knows from experience, it's better to have a plan and be able to be flexible than to go in and be completely flexible and have no idea what's happening next. All right, so these are just some basic ideas for you guys. There there could be a whole lot more said about set lists and um, other strategies and ideas of how to put them together. And um, especially if you know, these are really general concepts. So these can be much more targeted for specific types of venues, um, whether it's you're playing in front of people who know you or don't know you. You know, again, every performance is different and has different needs. So creating your set list can be much more targeted for those specific venues and situations. But I hope in general, um, these have been some ideas to give you some more thought, things that maybe you haven't thought about before, and just some simple tips to, yeah, give you some food for thought. For those of you who had experience before in creating set list, let us know what has worked for you. What have you found that has really helped you to be successful? Info at notespiremusic.com. You can email us. Um, we would love to share your story stories with our audience and with our listeners to help them along. And um, what have been some of your great successes or some of your horror stories? Again, we would love to hear that and share that um, to pay that forward to help our listeners. Email us at info at notespiremusic.com. Let us know. You can check us out online at notespiremusic.com. That's our website. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And we're on YouTube at Notespire Music TV. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can listen to our radio station at WNSMDB, 
Notespire Radio. That's at notespireradio.com. Or go to the App Store or Google Play and uh, download the Notespire Radio app today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Artist Impact Podcast. We hope this has been helpful to you to have a greater impact at what you do. And uh, we'll be back with you soon for another episode just like this with some more helpful insights um, into the music and music industry. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. God bless. Thank you for joining us for the Artist Impact Podcast, a production of Notespire Music, LLC. At Notespire Music, we empower independent Christian musicians to grow their God-given music potential by refining their craft and extending their music ministry reach. Notespire Music, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. For more information, visit notespiremusic.com. And join us next time for the Notespire Music Artist Impact.